pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Welcome to church. Thank you, Judah. Great job. I said, welcome to church. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Psalms 23, the 23rd Psalm. We're going to read the entire Psalm. It's just six verses. I'm going to read it in the King James Version, and then I'm going to read it in a very special version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful psalm. That's not only probably the most popular psalm in the church, it's even the most popular psalm in the world. I don't think there's anybody in there that's ever attended a funeral where they didn't see the 23rd Psalm displayed somewhere, usually on the little cards. It's a loved psalm, and it's loved by many. And it's definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite psalm. And I quote it often in prayer, especially when I feel anxious or when I feel alone or when fear is trying to get a grip on me. As a matter of fact, I have my own version of it. You may have heard me read it before, but I think it bears repeating. And now, don't start looking to throw stones because I'm not trying to alter or change the word. I'm not a heretic. I just want to express what it means to me. So I wrote it in a language that I could understand. I just read it in the King James. Now I'm going to read it in the BPNRV. The Brunzo paraphrase, nearly reverse translation. Lord, I declare that you are my shepherd. And I declare that you are my Lord. And because you are my shepherd and my Lord, I shall not lack in any area of my life. Verse 2. You cause me to rest because you lead me to places of great provision and peace. Verse 3, you bring restoration to my spirit, soul, and body. You teach me and enable me to walk in righteousness and do what is right so I can uphold and walk in your righteousness. And even though I walk through dark places and yes, even in the shadow of death, I never have to fear evil of any kind because I know that you are always with me to protect me and guide me through the challenging and dangerous times that I might face. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me with everything I need, and you do it even in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed me with your power and ability, set me aside for your use, and healed me. You fill my cup to overflowing, and I always have exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask and think. I always have more than I need. And verse 6 says, I have determined or predetermined in my heart that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and one day I will dwell with you in your house forever and ever. Amen. That's what it means to me. And this psalm has to do with a shepherd and his sheep. The Lord and his followers. And King David having been a shepherd himself wrote himself uh, or having been a shepherd himself speaks with authority and experience he didn't alter this but he did 
and he put it on paper as he was led by the Spirit of God. But the, the Lord will use our personal lives, our personal experiences, the things that we've been through. He'll use them to express himself through us. And that's what he's doing here with David. And he refers to the Lord as his shepherd and our shepherd and how he leads and guides and protects his sheep and how he's always there with them in every circumstance. That's basically what this psalm is all about. And I want to spend a few minutes this morning focusing on the table that the Lord prepared before us in the presence of our enemies. I want us to have an understanding of the significance of this table and the importance of it. So I'm going to show you some things this morning, like I said, that you probably haven't seen before. There was a room in the Old Testament tabernacle known as the Holy Place. And in this room was a table called the Table of Showbread. And the priests would gather around that table every Sabbath day as they ministered to the Lord and they would break bread and drink wine in the presence of the Lord. There were 12 loaves of bread on this table. And I don't picture a loaf of Wonder Bread or something. These were flat, round loaves. And there were six on each side of the table and each one represented one of the tribes of Israel. And so they would break that bread and drink wine and have communion in the presence of the Lord. And, and the table wasn't just designed for communion uh, or fellowship with one another, but it was also designed for communion and fellowship with the Lord. It's a strong type and foreshadowing of the communion table that we have before me this morning, before you this morning, uh, as we gather to break bread and partake of what is called the communion cup. Now, we don't really care if it's real wine in there or not. I know uh, coming from the Catholic religion, the priests actually drink real wine. I don't know if they all do it nowadays. Maybe some of them have converted to grape juice in light of some of the problems they had over recent times, but it really doesn't make any difference what the juice is or what type of bread it is, if it's a cracker, if it's a wafer, if it's an actual piece of bread that you break off a loaf. The thing that's significant is what it represents, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But this table was made possible because of the one who prepared it. He said, uh, he prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And without the redemptive work that Christ did, we wouldn't have this table before us today. There would be no use for it. But wherever this table is, the Lord is always present. Amen. As a matter of fact, God is always present where the sheep are gathered. And wherever the communion table is and the sheep are together, there is always a strong presence of the Lord. Somebody might say, well, I don't feel his presence when we have communion. Look for it. Desire. Ask God to feel his presence because that presence comes along with this table. It's a strong presence. And tables and meals are, are, are prepared and served on tables as a part of life. And it's an important part of life. A lot of things are done around a table with food on it. I remember as a uh, manager at UPS, we used to have meetings and we would have a dinner and a fellowship afterwards. And we would sit around that table and we would brainstorm. And some of the greatest ideas that UPS ever got came off a napkin from one of those tables, just from sitting around and fellowshipping and breaking bread and enjoying the company of one another. But it's not so important because of the food, but for what takes place around the table. Tables are important because of the fellowship and the communion that occurs around the table. And, and they're important because they bring families together. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but if you sit around a table, whether it's a round table, a rectangle table, a square table, if you're sitting at that table, you're facing one another. It makes it easy to talk to one another. And tables are so important that right after the rapture of the church, the first thing, one of the first things, the main thing that we're going to do is we're going to sit down and enjoy and celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he's going to be at the head of the table. 
And God's going to be at the other head of the table. And we're going to be around the table facing one another. <laughs> I can't even imagine how big that table is going to be. It's going to be a long ta table. But, I, you know, I really believe with all my heart that as we're sitting at that table in the presence of the Lord, we're going to be able to enjoy everyone around that table, hear and talk to everyone around that table. It's going to have to be supernaturally, but we can do it. Because if you're in a big restaurant and you got 20 people at a table, 10 on each side, you can't hear what's going on at the end of that table, but this table, the Lord's table, is going to be different. And I'll guarantee you there's not going to be anything on that table that you don't like. Because he's the one that prepares it. Amen? But it's going to be a magnificent table where the family of God is going to be gathered. And it's sooner than you think, closer than you think. Tables are prepared all the time with delicious foods and drinks and desserts on them. We just come through the holidays. We have Thanksgiving, then we have Christmas. And uh, I'm sure a lot of beautiful tables were set. We had a couple of nice tables set in our house, as a matter of fact, uh, with traditional dishes of food that we love to eat. And I know if you're, at, you're the head of a table or the head of a family, there's not going to be anything on that table that you don't like. And some of those dishes were prepared from recipes that were handed down from people that we love People that are no longer with us, grandparents and, and moms, and, and sometimes even the grand, uh, the dad and the, and the father have handed down recipes that, that uh, we loved and cherished. And so we duplicate those recipes at the table sometime, and it invokes memories and conversations and brings up uh, fond stories of those people that uh, have gone on before us. And we enjoy that. It, it's like a memorial. It's like a, uh, it brings up memories. And uh, yes, the table's prepared with the food that we love. But the most important part about the table, like I said, is the people that are around it and, and the communion and the fellowship that it produces. And that's an, an important part of the family that it's kind of been lost in this so-called modern Amen society that we live in and it's it's something we need especially as christians it's something that we need to get back now i don't want to bring any condemnation to anybody in this room that doesn't do it but i think that a family should gather at a table at least one time a day uh, if it's supper that's great if, uh, if it's lunch that's that's good too but it's usually the dinner table because people have to work and kids go to school and stuff so but at least once a day, we ought to get the family around the table. I know when our kids were young, we gathered around the dinner table every night and we ate together. There might have been an exception on a Friday night because that was pizza night and a movie. So we'd order pizza and we'd sit and watch a movie. And I'm not condemning that. It's, it's okay if you do it once in a while. But if you do it every night, that's no good. Why? No conversation. Everybody's got their eye on the one-eyed demon. And they're not facing each other. They're not talking to each other. They're facing the television. And nowadays, if a meal has even been prepared, the individual members of the family would fix a plate and head for the TV. And uh, most of you in here can probably remember this, but I can remember when the devil invented TV dinners. And the little portable tables called TV trays. And I can even remember when he invented microwaves. I remember the first one we ever got, it was a big old thing. Cooked the turkey in it. That was the worst turkey I ever put in my mouth. It was tough and stringy. It tasted like it had been boiled. But anyway, there, it's good for warming up soups and stuff. I don't have a problem with that, pastas. <coughs> but there's an all-out effort to separate and divide and destroy the nuclear family. And I don't mean the type of family that's ready to explode. I'm talking about a family that has structure and has a nucleus and is centered around Jesus Christ 
the society we live in today, and it's, it's because of the devil, he's trying to destroy that family. And for good reason. He don't want you gathering around the table. He especially don't want you gathering around this table. When we were rearing our kids, somebody corrected me on that one time. They said, you know, I said, we were raising our kids. They said, you don't raise kids, you raise cattle and you raise sheep. <laughs> kids are reared. So when we were rearing our kids, Pastor Ed and I sat at each end of that table and the boys sat opposite of each other. And they both knew by the position, the positions that were held at that table exactly who was in authority. And they learned well what the structure of a family looked like. And they learned manners and proper etiquette at that table because they learned how to ask for things and say please and thank you. And they learned how to appreciate the ones that provided that meal and made it possible. And, and, and it started with God because we prayed before every meal when we sat down at that table. So they knew who cooked it, they knew who provided for it, and they knew that God was at the head of that table. And to this day, when we have a family dinner, I'm not gonna lie in front of my grandkids, you could ask them. We have a family dinner, the first thing we do is pray. All right, Ethan? Yep. And, and you don't put anything in your mouth until Thanksgiving has come out of that mouth. And then we don't have enough room at our table. Our table holds four, six people at the most. We get a portable table and set it up alongside of the other table so that we're all around a table of some kind in the same room. And, and we sit together and actually fellowship and commune while we're eating. And to this day, I don't care how old they are, children or grandchildren, I double dog dare one of them to fix the plate and head for the TV. Amen. Either them or the TV will be wearing it. Anyway, that's just something to think about. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for the family to get together and fellowship and discuss how was your day? Did you pass that math test? You know, what was going on at work today? How, how was your day, honey? How was the kids, you know, or whatever, you know, sit around and, and you kind of force the fellowship when you're facing one another. You're kind of forced to talk. But then David said, thou anointest my head with oil. And that anointing took place at the table that the Lord prepared. Because if you read, he said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. That's at the table. My cup that's at the table runneth over. That anointing represented empowerment, healing, and being set aside and sanctified for the Lord's use. That's what happened at that table. And you wouldn't get that anointing if you were sitting in front of a TV. The table David is speaking of in this psalm is the one that uh, the one that the Lord prepared in the presence of our enemy is a type of the Lord's table. It's a type of this table that's in front of us this morning. The communion table that we'll be partaking of towards the end of the service, it also represents the, the first Passover. And that's actually where it started. In Exodus chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, I'll just paraphrase it, but God spoke to Moses and he gave him specific instructions for the Passover meal. And if you follow the whole story, you'll learn God's structure of authority, his protocol, his chain of command, how he communicates with his people and how he communicates with the church. It's right there in the whole story. And here in the South, we would call it his pecking order. You ever hear that? God has a pecking order. You know, uh, he, he pecks on someone and that someone pecks on someone else and, someone, and, and so on down the line until he gets to the people. See, God gives Moses his instructions, and then Moses gives the same instructions to the leaders, and then his leaders give them to the heads of the household and to the people. That's God's chain of command. That's his organizational chart, if you will. And every good company has one with the CEO at the top, the, pres the vice president, the president, this one and that one, all the way down to the lowest man 
on the organizational chart, but it's a chain of command. It's a pecking order that the company follows. Uh, I was in the Army. I know several people were in the military. Brother Darrell was in the Marines, Queenie and Pat was in the Army, and, and they had a chain of command, a pecking order. They, I was told to do things, but that thing started with the commander-in-chief, the president. He told the generals, the generals told the colonels, the colonels told the majors, the majors told the, the, the sergeant majors and got into the non-commissioned officer field. And, and then they told the lieutenant all the way down the line till it got to me and I had to do it. But my sergeant gave me that order, but that ain't where it originated. We did things in the army because the one at the top said to do them. And it trickled down. The pecking order worked all the way down to, to me. And I had to clean the toilet or whatever. <laughs> but the pecking order for the church is God, then his pastors or his shepherd. God is the, the chief shepherd, then his pastors and shepherds. Uh, his leaders are under shepherds and then to the people or the sheep and that's how it works and concerning the church God always speaks to his shepherds first and we can see this plainly in several places of the Bible especially in the book of Revelation when Jesus was dictating the letters to John to give to the pastors of the churches he said unto the church at so and so write unto the pastor or he said angel which means messenger which means pastor he said unto the pastor right he didn't say unto the people right he said unto the pastor right and then of course we know that the pastor shared that letter with the church he passed it down he probably shared it with his leaders first and then he shared it with the church and that's how it always works within the church and why am i bringing this up because uh, not understanding this protocol or, or God's pecking order has caused problems in a lot of churches. Not in this church, thank God, but it caused churches to split. It caused good people to get into error and lead the church because they thought that God told them something to tell the pastors. That will never happen with God's protocol. I'm not saying that... Uh, People can't make suggestions. I'm not saying that people can't hear from God themselves. Jesus made that possible with redemption. And with the redemptive process, Jesus shed his precious blood. And because of that blood, we can go into the very presence of God. And we can commune and pray to him. And he will answer us. But he'll never tell us to say something to the pastors or give direction to the pastors. That's not the way it works. And the people that got off in this area, that was the first thing they said. I can hear from God just as good as you can. Yes, you can. Maybe even better in some cases. But how often do you talk to God? What do you talk to God about? I, I talk to God every single day, several times a day, especially in the morning. I dedicate time to talk to God. And 90% of my conversation is about you. How often is your conversation with God about me? But again, he'll only give direction to the one who's responsible. And that's the whole thing about it. If you're responsible for something, God will give you direction for the thing that you're responsible for. Uh, he wants to be fair. He's going to hold you responsible for that thing. And so he will speak directly to you about whatever you're responsible for. Amen? Amen. That wasn't even supposed to be in, in, a part of my lesson, so I, I, I'm not going to charge you for it. It was all free. Now I'm back on the meter. But anyway, the Lord spoke to Moses and told him, this month shall be to you the beginning of months. It should be the first month of the year. I don't know exactly what that time was, but he marked that time, the time of the Passover, to be the first month, the beginning. So this table before us represents 
new beginnings and a new start. He's the God of new beginnings. You know, Pastor and I ring in the new year with communion, January 31st, 2022. We didn't make it till midnight, I have to be honest. I guess it was about 1030, but we made it a point that we thought we were going to make the midnight, and we said that right at midnight we will have communion. Well, we had communion at 1030. We actually broke bread and drank some juice, and we prayed and asked uh, God for certain things in this upcoming new year, and we uh, asked for specific things concerning the church. And uh, we believe that by us having communion, it was the start of something new. The start of something good. It was a new beginning for us. And I mean, it wasn't like we were born again. I mean, there's only one being born again. And, uh, but it was uh, a celebration of new beginnings and, and a new start. And in the Exodus, God told Moses, instruct the leaders to instruct the heads of every family to choose a lamb in its first year of life. One without spot or blemish and keep it till the 14th day of the same month. In other words, they cared for that lamb as you would a pet. They got to know it and they had feelings attached to it. They grew very fond. This is a new battery. These are new batteries, Matthew. So something else is going on. But they would grow very fond of that little lamb. As a matter of fact, they would grow to love it. You know, uh, my sister Phyllis and her husband is probably listening to me right now. I'm going to tell on them. But uh, Ron, her husband, bought a calf. And when he bought it, he bought it for beef. And he told my sister and the children, his two daughters, he said, Now we are going to raise this cow for beef. We're going to eat this cow someday. As a matter of fact, he named the cow Supper. So every time they called it, they would be reminded of what that cow was for. Supper, come on, supper. But you know, in spite of all of that, they grew to love that calf and that cow. And when my, when my brother-in-law finally did come to the place where it had to be slaughtered and, and uh, cut up and packaged and put in his freezer, they didn't like it. <laughs> And he's like, I told you from the beginning, don't get attached to this thing. But anyway, they wouldn't eat any part of that cow. He enjoyed it, I'm sure, he, you know. But, but here's the thing about it. When you, when you have something like that that becomes a pet, it's like a family member. And, and God ordained that because he wanted them to feel what it was going to be like to lose something or somebody that they loved. It wasn't easy. Because on the 14th day, they had to kill that little lamb and drain his blood into a basin and then take uh, and dip a hyssop, hyssop branch in the basin of blood and sprinkle or paint or smear the doorpost and uh, lentil of the house, the door to the house. Then they had to roast that little Passover lamb with fire and eat it with a side dish of bitter herbs. And you know, sometimes life will serve you up some bitter herbs. But if you eat them along with the lamb, it'll make it a whole lot sweeter for you. But they were instructed to eat the whole lamb. And you know, people accept the sacrifice of the lamb and they get saved, but they don't want to partake of the whole lamb. Yes. They don't want to pick and choose the parts of the lamb that they like to eat. It's like with the chicken. I eat the whole chicken. There ain't no part of that chicken I don't like. My wife likes the white meat. Maybe an occasional wing, but never a leg or a thigh. I eat it all. And maybe you prefer certain parts of it. That's the way it was with the lamb. Well, I just want this portion or that portion or a piece of the breast or, you know. No. Uh, you know, I'll take salvation and some healing and some of the promises, but I don't want to change. I don't want to live a life of discipline and obedience. I don't want to live a life of faith. I especially don't want any of those bitter herbs. 
I want to live life my way. Just pass the blessings, please. They want to pick and choose the parts of the word that they want to eat. But you don't get to pick and choose what parts of the word you want to participate in or obey. That's not how it works. Right. You have to accept the whole word. Amen. You have to eat it all. He has to be Lord of all or not at all. Yes. Yes. We don't want to do that. We just want stuff that makes our tongue happy. Amen. God said, eat it all and be ready to move yes. after you eat it. He said, it's the Lord's Passover. Yes. And the Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Sacrifice for us. And that's what this communion table is all about. That's what this com communion table represents. God said he was going to pass judgment in the land of Egypt because of all the false gods that they worship. And he said, I am the Lord. Not you. And not the gods that you worship. I am the Lord. And he proved it through the ten plagues. The last one being the most powerful of all Amen. the taking of the firstborn firstborn everybody has a firstborn in their house yes. everybody has a firstborn in their barn in their chicken coop wherever everybody has a firstborn everybody in Egypt suffered loss that night except the children of Israel Amen. and it was because of the blood yes. he said the blood of that lamb should be a token upon the houses uh, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be allowed into your house to destroy your family. He said, this day shall be a memorial for you, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord forever. Throughout every generation, you'll keep it forever. That's an ordinance. That's an order. It's not an option. And so we have communion. We try to have it once a month at least. When I was in the Catholic faith, we had it every time they had a service. Every time they met, they met. We would we would share communion. There's no specifics in the Bible as to how often or when to have it. They said just says have it because it's to bring us to remembrance, to remembrance of the Passover, the original Passover. This is our Passover memorial that we're going to keep forever. And the last thing the Lord did before he was crucified was had the Passover meal with his disciples. It had it in an upper room. They fellowshiped, they broke bread, they drank wine, and they even had a sop to dip the, to dip the bread in. A sop was a bowl of some type of flavorful uh, concoction, a gravy or something uh, that tasted good, and they would dip their bread in it and eat their bread. But the one thing that you'll not find anywhere in the Gospels, you will not find where it is said that there was a lamb on that table. And the reason there was no lamb on that table is because the lamb was sitting at the table. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. Yes. And in the Exodus, after they ate the Passover meal, the Bible says that they left Egypt and there was not one feeble or sick among them. There's healing at this table. Yes. And the Bible says that God caused the Egyptians to look favorably upon the Israelites. And the Egyptians gave them all their gold and silver and their fine linens and their fine clothes. And they not only left Egypt healed and whole, they left Egypt rich, very rich. And you say, well, that's not fair. That's like stealing from the Egyptians. No, it is fair. It's 430 years of back pay for the yes, work that they did and yes. building the pyramids and everything else that Pharaoh oh, yeah. made them do. And for them just to leave healed and whole was a, yes. one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament because every one of them had something wrong with them from being in slavery all them years, not eating right, not getting the right nutrition, malnourished. They had broken bones and sprained and pulled muscles and all kinds of things. And the Bible says they left their whole and healed. And it happened at that table. It can happen at this table today. Yes. 
Brother Darrell, there's healing on this table today. Seth, there's healing on this table today. If you're at home sick and you partake with us today, there's healing at this table today. God gave Israel seven promises of blessing after they partook of that Passover meal. He promised them long life. He promised to send angels before them. He promised healing and prosperity. He promised to make them fruitful. He promised to protect them. And if their enemies came against them one way, he would cause them to flee seven ways. Amen. Wonderful promises are at this table. Yes. Psalm 23 tells us that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Yes. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord someday. And when you partake of this communion table, it activates the promises of God in your life. And the reason it does is because God's promises are mercy and grace. Yes. God promised us mercy and grace. And thank God he delivered it because it hung on a cross. Yes. There's a strong presence of mercy and grace at this table today. Because wherever that table is, there's a strong presence of the Lord. In the first Passover, God said, take the blood of that lamb and paint it on the side posts and top of their doors. But he never told them to paint the threshold. Why? Because God would never allow that blood to be disrespected. He'd never allow that blood to be walked on. Why do I say that? Because there's a lot of religions, I could name them, but I won't. There's, I call them religions because they're not denominations. They're not Christ-centered. So they're religions. And religion brings death. Religion will kill you. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Amen. you're in religion and you're headed for hell. Amen. Just like this religion is. It's a very large cult. The reason I call it a cult is because they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Therefore, there's no salvation for them. Because he is the way, the only way. Amen. They'll tell you. They may even come to your door. But they'll tell you, we believe in Jesus. But what they won't tell you is they don't believe that he's God. And what they won't tell you is they don't believe that his blood was precious and valuable and able to save. Yes. They believe that his blood was the same as any common man's blood. And because of that, it's going to send them to hell someday. Amen. The blood has power to save. They don't believe that. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that uh, it tells us plainly that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins and you will face a devil's hell for eternity. We can never underestimate dishonor or disrespect the value or the power that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. A lot of churches won't preach about the blood. It's not, a, it's not a very wholesome subject. But we need to know about the blood. We need, to, we need to value it and esteem it highly because without the blood, we'd be lost in our sins. Yes. But after the blood was applied to the doorway of that house, when the destroyer, which was actually, I don't even know if I should tell you this. Don't text me. Don't leave me any messages. Because I won't answer them. But that destroyer was actually a death angel of God's. It wasn't the devil. I, well, Pastor, don't you know the devil is the one that was sent to kill, steal, and destroy. God had a lot of destroying angels. Amen. He sent two of them to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent one to destroy Jerusalem and they slaughtered people till God said, hold it, that's enough. And he stayed their hands. The reason I believe it was one of God's angels is because God doesn't cooperate with devils. 
He's not going to go side by side with the devil and tell him which house to go in and which house not to go in. This was an angel of God, a death angel. But anyway, my point is this. If a death angel couldn't cross that bloodline, then bless God, there ain't no devil in hell or otherwise that's going to cross that bloodline. That's why the devil don't want you to know the blood or the power of the blood. That's why the devil doesn't want you to value the blood. That's why he wants you to disrespect it and dishonor it so it will be powerless for you. I got a bloodline around my house. I got a bloodline over the doorposts and lentils of my house. Ain't no devil coming in there to destroy or steal anything from us. Why? Because I believe in the power of the blood. I understand the value of the blood. And I know how to use it. And the devil hates that. He don't want you to know that. And when you drink this cup today, remember that it represents the blood of the lamb. Not a lamb. The lamb. The Passover lamb. And then by faith, you apply that blood to the doorposts and lentils of your heart. You're creating a bloodline that cannot be crossed by any kind of evil demon. You're denying the devil access to your life by faith. You've got to have faith in the blood. If God says you can draw near with full assurance of faith, because of the blood, then you have to believe that you can draw near because of the blood. Yes. It's because of the blood that you can go into the Holy of Holies, not just the holy place where the common priest, I don't want to say a common, the common priest ministered there, the high priest ministered in the most holy place or the Holy of Holies. Yes. And when God told Moses to, to, to build that tabernacle, he said it was from a specific pattern yes. that was already in, he in heaven. Yes. So that means there's a heavenly tabernacle. And we have access to it. Why? Because of the blood. You know, the Old Testament people quote Job and say, well, see, the devil has access to heaven. He goes before God with the sons of God. And No, he don't. He's not allowed in heaven. You have to have the blood applied to get into heaven. He can't apply the blood. He's a prince in the power of the air, the atmosphere around the earth. He don't have access to heaven anymore. So when you cover your life with the blood, yourself with the blood, your family with the blood, your loved ones with the blood, you're denying the devil access. And if you really have faith in the power of that blood, he will not cross that line. There's power in the blood of the lamb that we can't even begin to comprehend. The blood will protect you from everything and anything that the devil can bring against you. And that blood will, like I said, get you into heaven and cause you to stand in the very presence of God. Because of the blood of that lamb, I can approach God. I can go before the very throne of God to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That blood will cleanse us from all sin. But if you don't believe in it and you don't value it and you don't esteem it highly, it will not cleanse you. I have faith in the blood because God said it would cleanse me. And that blood allows us access to things that nobody else has access to. So as we partake of this table this morning, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if you'll feel it or not, but I'm going to tell you that there's going to be a commanding presence of the Lord at this table this morning. Not only at this table, because you're going to have that presence in your hand when you receive the elements for this communion this morning. And you will feel an anointing for healing and deliverance. You'll feel an anointing for restoration. Because yes. King David said, Thou restoreth my soul. Yes. Does anybody have things in their life today that need restoring? Yes. 
it can happen at this table. This is a table of restoration. This table is a table of forgiveness and new beginnings. Like I said, me and Pastor Ed prayed and had communion New Year's Eve, and, and we celebrated a new beginning. We celebrated uh, a new start. Now, every day could be a new start, a new beginning with God. I don't care where you're at, where you're coming from, what you came out of. But once you make up your mind, you can have a new beginning and a new start with God. That's what it's all about, being born again. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. Who's serving this morning, John? Need to ask volunteers. Kevin and Shannon, I need two volunteers for communion. <laughs> Kevin and Shannon. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wait till you receive your elements. Those of you that want to participate from home, if you have your crackers or bread or juice, just get it ready and we'll all partake together. Because that's what this table is all about. Yes. Communion and fellowship with the family. Hallelujah. The family of God. God has a big family. You want me to slow them? Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. God has been so good to me. Uh, I'm telling you, you know, he's, he, he healed me of cancer last year. And uh, that was just the beginning of some things. Amen. That's right. I mean, uh, I've always had to use a big iPad because I couldn't see a little one very good. Today I'm using a mini iPad. Yeah. And I see it fine. I have been having trouble with my sugar. It's been in the 300s pretty consistently. My wife and I were praying. I don't know if it was her or God told me, but one of us got this message that if God just healed you of cancer, yeah. that was past the rest, what would sugar diabetes be? Right. Nothing. My sugar for the last month has been consistently in the 150s. And God ain't done yet. And I, I have to admit, I'm doing my part. I'm watching my carbs and I'm exercising on the bike. But even in the days when I didn't exercise, because, you know, I just uh, had my port removed Thursday. So I haven't been on the bike since Thursday because I got a stitch in my juggler and I don't want to pop it. <laughs> that could be a problem. But my, my blood sugar this morning was 154. So, you know, if I had, if I was able to get on the bike, and and I haven't really watched what I ate the last couple of days because I think they gave me some steroids uh, in my drip, and man, I've been eating everything that wouldn't eat meat. <laughs> and if I could get the drop on that, I'd eat it too. <laughs> so I haven't been really good on my diet, but... God's word is that work in me. Yes, like Pastor S said this morning, if you work the word, the word will work for you. Yes, Amen. Yes. Amen. God is so good. I appreciate him so much. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. One of these days I'll give my holy testimony. How God healed me stage four cancer and I'll be able to do it on air too. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to participate in this table. Well, table of many things that I mentioned today. Healing, preservation, protection, prosperity, deliverance, and forgiveness. It's all at this table this morning. Uh, you know, God prepared a table before us. 
but he's not going to force us to sit at it. But I'm telling you, if you will pull up a chair, yes. I don't care what it is that yes. you need, you're going to find it on this table. Yes. I think it was Keith, Keith Moore said one time, he was describing that table, and he said, there's some healing biscuits yes. on that yes. table. Say, pass me a biscuit. Yes. You know, there's some prosperity gravy on that table. There's everything you need on that table. But pull yourself up to the table, reach out and get it. My dad used to tell me and my brother that we had a boarding house reach. <laughs> I don't know if you all know what that means, but they had boarding houses back then where homeless and poor people would go to eat. Boy, once they said the, the prayer, said the grace, and, and started eating, he says that you, some of them people could reach 12 feet across the table and grab some. That's a boarding, boarding house reach. He said that me and my brother had it. That's what you need at God's table. Yes. A boarding house reach. Amen. You should be reaching for everything. He Amen. prepared it for you. Yes. And, and you know, we come from an Italian family, and there's nothing you can do that's more pleasing to an Italian nana but enjoy her food. Yes. I mean, that is just such a compliment yes. to an Italian person that prepared a meal. Amen. And it would be a compliment to God. He's not stingy. He's not holding things back. He's saying, have on down, Yes. Help yourself. Right. Come on, John. Come on, John. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But anyway, if you have your wafer or your bread or your cracker, take it at this time. You know, the Apostle Paul taught <coughs> the church at Corinth how to receive communion. Even though he wasn't there at the table with Jesus and the disciples at the last Passover meal, he celebrated on earth anyway. Uh, Jesus gave him specific instructions for the church. And uh, he said, I have received of the Lord the instructions of the Lord, the teaching of the Lord on communion. And he said, I've delivered it unto you. And here's what I delivered, church, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. He said, this do in remembrance of me. Now, we're sitting at the Lord's table now. And he's here with us in the spirit. But we have memories of him. He's saying, remember the things that I did. Remember the recipes that I shared with you. The word that I shared with you. How I suffered in my body. And how I died for you. Remember these things. And so that's what we're doing today. But before you partake of this wafer, bread, cracker, whatever it is that you have, tell God what you want. It's at the table this morning. Make a covenant with them. Uh, have this communion towards a new beginning. Have this communion towards a new start with something. Whether it's your family or some type of thing that you got going on that you're not happy with. Uh, again, there's restoration at the table. There's healing at the table. There's prosperity at this table. Ask God to pay a bill for you. It's at this table. Seal it. Seal this new year with communion today. Father, we thank you for this bread, this cracker, this wafer. Not just for the element itself, but for what this element represents. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body that was sacrificed and given for us. The body that suffered for us. That walked this earth. That performed miracle after miracle. And healing after healing. And deliverance after deliverance. That body, Lord, the same one that was whipped and beaten and hung on the cross. We honor that body today. We give you thanks for it. Jesus' name, break any. The reason we tell you to break it before you eat is because that's what they do at this table. That's what the priest did around that table of showbread. They picked up a loaf of that bread and they break a piece off of it and they pass it down. We're breaking bread this morning with the Lord's table. And remember, wherever the table is, he's there. There's a strong presence of the Lord at this table. Yes. 
And then after they broke bread, they took the cup. And he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. We remember your shed blood at Calvary. Your shed blood at that whipping post for our healing. We remember these things, Lord. And we remember that this cup represents the cup of a new and better covenant based upon better promises because it was not based on the blood of a lamb. It was based on the blood of the lamb. It was based on your blood, Lord. We remember that, God. And we honor and value and esteem the blood highly. We recognize the authority and the power that's in this blood. God, I don't want to go through life without it. I don't know what I'd do without the blood in your presence. I don't know what I'd do without that New Testament and all the promises that are guaranteed by this blood that you share. This is not the blood of a common man. This is the blood of God that flowed through your veins, untouched by humankind. There's no human DNA in that blood, hallelujah. It's the blood of God from heaven. And we've been transfused with it, hallelujah. Take and drink. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we partook of the Passover meal, the very replica and memorial of the first and the original Passover, which took place in Egypt. God, all the promises that you made to the Israelites, you made for us through this modern day table. The Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, has been shed and sacrificed for us. He was sacrificed in our place for our sins, for our iniquities, for our transgressions. And because he was, and because we've accepted that sacrifice, we are born again and saved. And we don't just want parts of this lamb, Lord. We want the whole lamb. We want to participate in every part of the lamb. And if it requires us to lead a disciplined and obedient life before you, then that's what we shall do because you anointed us and you give us the grace to do it. It's not something that we can't do. It's something that we can do because you've empowered us with the anointing. You've empowered us with the blood of Jesus. There's nothing we can't get through in this life. There's no mountain that we can't move. There's no river we can't cross. There's no valley that we can't cross. There's no giant that we can't slay. We're anointed just like King David was anointed. So we thank you that you've empowered us. We thank you, Father, that you never promised us that we wouldn't have to taste some bitter herbs. But as long as we take it with the lamb, because he is with us, as we walk through that dark valley, he is with us. His rod and staff is comforting us, protecting us, guiding us, defending us. We can do it because of that. Hallelujah. We can taste the bitter herbs of life and still come out with a sweet taste in our mouth because of Jesus. Hallelujah. God, I ask you to touch us all this morning with a healing touch. Touch us all with a restoring touch. Restore something in our life that we're missing, something in our life that we want back, Lord. We know you're, you're a God of restoration. You restore things and you want us restored. So we thank you and we praise you for that. God bless our audience at home this morning. Let them feel your presence, your commanding presence that is at this table. And heal our brothers and sisters in Christ that are sick this morning. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. We will see you Wednesday.
Starting back our regular services Wednesday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord. Thank you.